listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. I told uh, a couple of people that when we've heard these faith stories, I often have uh, the sense that I wish I'd known this person longer than I do. Well, I'll, you'll find out that the Moors have been here at Faith Church for six years. I've probably known them for that about that long. But I really wish I'd known you your whole lives. And I'll find out, I think, uh, during this faith story. Um, let's pray first, and then I'll read their introduction. Father, we're grateful that we can come to you like we do right now, knowing that uh, as our Father, you hear us. You wish what is good for us, and I pray that that would be true as we hear uh, Moore's faith story today. Teach us through your spirit and give us receptive hearts and ears in Jesus' name. Amen. This is John and Jenny. John and Jenny Moore have attended the Faith Church for six years. John served in guest services on the media team as a building assistant. I've noticed that many times when I had to set things up. John is usually here first. Jenny's helped coordinate and lead women's Bible studies and volunteered with FIAC. They've been married for 43 years, have four children, three grandchildren, and both John and Jenny enjoy swimming and reading. I think we'll hear a lot more about that as the story goes on. So John and Jenny, welcome. Well, one of the things that I said in the first hour was it's really hard to cram all your life into 15 minutes, but we'll, we'll give it our best shot here. Um, my parents moved to Wabash, Indiana in time for me to begin first grade, and that is where we stayed for my growing up years. Uh, both of my parents were in education, and I am the second of four children. In Wabash, my dad's widowed mom also lived and uh, my dad and his brother had grown up in Wabash as well. And I can recall going to Sunday school at the church where my grandparents and my dad had been heavily involved. And though I did attend confirmation classes, I did not follow up by receiving God's gift and being baptized. Just a few years ago, I discovered that my dad had been dropping us off for Sunday school and then he would go and teach a Sunday school class. However, church and Jesus were not topics of conversation at my home. Okay. Whoops. Sorry. There's my parents, uh, uh, probably 60s somewhere. And that was just last year. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was active in school activities, and I was successful in school. But my connection to church and spiritual things petered out during high school. During this time, my parents' marriage was dissolving, and their divorce was finalized my senior year in high school. This event, or actually series of events, was no small thing in my life. But I can remember telling myself, I am not going to let it affect me. Well, in retrospect, that isn't what happened. My freshman year of college was in Houston, Texas. I later had decided that at that time, I was really running as far as I could from that situation at home. 
It was a very rough year. And I decided to return to Indiana, and I went to Ball State. The theme of my sharing today is seeing God's sovereignty in my life. So just let me say that even though I have not seen any positive effects from my parents' divorce, nor from not having a strong background in church, I have come to see that God is sovereign in all things. He is in control, and he is always working out his plan for my life. And because my hope is in him, I may well see good from those things at some point. Another thing I've also come to believe is that the church, which is you, may help me to see them. So to continue my story, as a new residence hall advisor in my junior year at Ball State, I met a freshman girl who was funny, and she carried a Bible. I had not put those two things together before. So one weekend in September, she invited me to her home. In God's sovereignty, her brother shared the gospel with me. And as I asked her about it later, she asked me, Jenny, is there anything in your life you can't control? Well, it was the exact question that needed to be asked. And so when I returned to my dorm room, I knelt and asked God to forgive me and to make me into the person he wanted me to be. Well, this young woman had become involved with the Navigator Ministry on campus, so I went too. And as an aside, this girl had come to know a family who played a role in Lee Christensen's faith story. For me, a verse in that gospel presentation that has continued to be uh, a source of strength. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believe him who sent me has eternal life. He has not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. I was born and raised in Indianapolis. My family consisted of my parents and my fraternal twin brother. Our dad worked for a real estate title company and our mom stayed home. She had been a dietitian in a restaurant and spoiled, spoiled us with her great cooking. My mother had no idea she was having twins as the doctor didn't detect a second heartbeat with his stethoscope. Of course, no ultrasound back then. One of the advantages to being a twin is that you always have someone to play with. We shared a bedroom growing up and, are, and we are still very close even though he lives out of state. You, yeah, just last year. Must, mustaches were big back then. <laughs> I can remember from my earliest days going to church every week and hearing Bible stories in Sunday school. When I got older, I participated in youth group, summer church camp, and choir. But even with these activities, by my senior year of high school, I had the attitude that God didn't have much impact on my life. You might say that there was sort of a peaceful coexistence. I didn't ask anything from him and he didn't ask anything from me. My involvement in church 
activities centered on spending time with friends and having fun with very little attention paid to God. But in my senior year of high school, the whole tone of our youth group began to change and people started talking about loving Jesus and having a personal relationship with him. Well, I didn't see why I needed a savior as I considered myself a good person as I compared myself to others. But slowly I began to see that the believers around me had a joy and purpose that I didn't have, and I began to think more about it. That summer, our youth group leadership decided to take a work trip to Oklahoma to serve a small African-American church. This was a new experience for everyone, as our church had not taken a trip like this in recent memory. There were six adult leaders and 20 high schoolers who made the trip in five cars. Someone came up with the idea to call this trip the caravan, and the name stuck. Here's our group picture in front of the church where we served. Uh, I'm uh, kneeling in the front row, second from the right, and my brother is also in the front row, fourth from the right. We worked at the church during the daytime, putting on a vacation Bible school in the morning and doing painting and other chores in the afternoon, and then going to churches in the area and singing and giving testimonies. It was at one of these evening meetings that I decided that I needed to make a commitment to the Lord and ask him to come into my life. I consider that the day I was born again, as it says in John 3. I came home with a new attitude, knowing that I wanted my life to be different, and I began to change my behavior. I broke up with the girl I was dating because I felt the relationship would hinder my spiritual growth. Uh, and aside is there were two more of these annual summer caravan trips, and many of the participants have said that this was a key part of their spiritual journey. In fact, just last weekend, we got together for a 50-year reunion. And during the weekend, we shared all the great memories that we had of those weeks. A verse that was particularly meaningful to me at this time was 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I was headed off to Purdue that September, and people who were older in the Lord told me that I needed to get into a Bible study so that I could know Jesus better. In my dorm, there was a study organized by the Navigators that I started attending. Through the NAVs, I was involved in activities such as personal evangelism, Bible studies, discipleship training, and summer training programs. In those days, the Navigators would conduct these training programs where we'd have male and female college students from the Midwest come to a city, live in college housing and get jobs during the day and then have teaching and Bible study and other activities in the evening. We were divided into teams of four to six with an older leader where we would uh, do things together and have some accountability. I grew a lot in my walk with God during these days. As a senior, I took on some leadership responsibilities in the NAVs, 
one of which was as the treasurer for the Navigator Parents Banquet. I received payment from a girl named Jenny Price. I was puzzled as to who she was because I had been involved in the ministry for four years and never met her. Before the banquet, I was driving a near campus and I saw another girl from the ministry that I knew and I pulled my car over next to hers and she introduced me to Jenny Price who was in the car with her. Well, after college, I began teaching students with disabilities in a rural school just outside of Lafayette. I got reconnected through the NAV ministry at Purdue and as John has just said, attended a couple of those parent banquets which I'd love to tell you more about. Um, two years later, the NAVs were opening a new ministry in Indianapolis, and I really felt like God wanted me to go. In another instance of God's sovereignty, I decided to go to the NAV training program that John was just telling you about at Butler that summer. I had resigned my teaching position, but I didn't have a job in Indianapolis. While I was at the training program, I received a phone call from Indianapolis Public Schools. It was a guy that I had interviewed with two years earlier at one of those college career fair things at Ball State. He wanted to know, where should I send your contract? That was really unbelievable. <laughs> so I ended up teaching for IPS for several years during which time John and I were both involved in that NAV ministry in Indy and got to know each other um, as we were paired, again, God's sovereignty, for a neighborhood evangelism project that was in my apartment complex. Well, I was also in a Bible study he led, but that's another story for another time. While I was in the Indy NAV ministry, I lived with a few other girls and one of them went to Faith Church. I decided to attend with her, and at that time, the church was in a small stone building in Broad Ripple, and John Crocker was the pastor. When this John and I decided to get married, we asked Pastor Crocker to be a part of the ceremony. That was the fall of 1979, and for those who need the math, that will be 43 years this November. But to back up, I'd like to share another instance of God's sovereignty or reign over my life, and it involved my decision to marry John. I was pretty crazy about him, but I was deeply concerned that I would let my emotions lead and not sense God's spirit nudging me into a different direction. Well, some friends and I had gone to seek some counsel with a NAV staff home on furlough all of us were interested in overseas ministry. However, I had met and gotten to know John, and I was also very interested in marrying him. A biblical principle in decision-making is to seek counsel from believers, particularly those who have walked with God for a while. Interestingly, the two of us were going to a conference where we would be with a couple that we knew and we could seek counsel with them. But as I was praying before I left for the conference, God gave me a very clear vision that I was to marry John, though I didn't really understand everything in that picture. I shared with this couple that I wanted to go overseas. 
but I knew in capital letters that God wanted me to marry John. Their counsel was, marry John. Do the thing that you know God wants you to do. After graduation, I came back to Indy and uh, found a job. Uh, as Jenny alluded, the navigators were starting a ministry for young working people who wanted to continue to get discipleship training. A navigator staff family moved to Indy to lead the ministry and I got involved. Eventually I shared an apartment with two or three other nav guys. My first job was working for an industrial paint company as an inside salesperson, taking orders from customers and then expediting them through the production process and getting them shipped out. After that, I decided to use my minor in computer science. I had a, a industrial management major, uh, which led to a career in information technology at three different companies, including one after we moved to Evansville. I was blessed to work with some great people who shared their knowledge with me, something that I've always tried to do in my work. And one big way that that I saw God's sovereignty and provision was the way he provided when we were pregnant with our second child. Uh, I uh, was praying about finding another job and so I answered a newspaper ad. And this was 1983, so there wasn't any internet. But, and so eventually I got hired by the company where I would spend most of my career and that allowed Jenny to stay home to continue to uh, to continue to stay home and care for our growing family. Well, during the 80s, I had children. <laughs> and that is, uh, um, that's all I did in the 80s. Four. We had four children, um, and several instances of God's sovereignty over our lives can be seen during their grown-up years. I'll share one of them here. Uh, Anne-Marie was 11 weeks old when we returned to my hometown to celebrate Christmas with my dad and my stepmom. They had just gotten a new TV, and so we were all downstairs watching. And I joined them after feeding Anne-Marie and laying her down upstairs. But while watching TV, my sister motioned for me to follow her. My sister-in-law was holding Annie, who was very gray-looking. My sister told me, she's not breathing, and we've called 911. As I went into shock, my sister-in-law, my stepmom, and my sister took turns doing CPR on her. They told us, get in the car. Somebody will drive you to the hospital. Well, dad lived in a farmhouse in the country, and I remember two things for those, uh, that little time right there. One, being very, what I would call, shocky. I went outside and I just started screaming, trying to get rid of this electricity that was flowing through me. And two, getting in the car, beginning to pray. God, we haven't had her very long, but if you want her back, it's okay. We saw his control of many things in this story, but one was that there were so many people in that house that knew CPR, and that my sister, in God's providence, had wanted to even go check on her. There is a lot more to this story, 
But to make a long story short, Annie will celebrate her 36th birthday this fall. At our uh, former church, I became involved in the mission program and actually led the uh, missions committee that we had at the time. And in uh, 1989, uh, for the first time, we had a, a, a mission trip to South Africa. I got to see some of the horrors of apartheid firsthand. In, then in 1992, Jenny and I went on a short-term mission trip to Romania. And one highlight was going to Timisoara, which is where the revolution that toppled the communist dictator began. One of our stops was to a small village that had a small evangelical church that met in an apartment. After our group back, got back home, our church decided to raise some money and, and to uh, build a church building for this small congregation. And I was able to visit the, the finished building on another trip uh, in 2003. I was also an adult leader on a youth mission trip to Mexico to uh, Via Hermosa, and we fellowshiped with the believers there and shared our testimonies. And I remember one of our tasks was to mix and pour concrete for a driveway and small building. Well, this was in July, so it was hot, and we were working so hard and uh, carrying the sand and gravel uh, that we would arrange our work so that we could work in the cooler parts of the day, and, and we encouraged everyone to drink plenty of water and take breaks. When our youngest was getting ready to go to first grade, I was thinking about how free I will be, and I could sit down periodically, eat bonbons. One day that summer, I received a call from a neighbor who happened to be a preschool teacher. She said, they were asking God for a new teacher, and I came to mind. I remember staring at the phone, which was plugged into the wall at that time, and thinking, are you kidding? <laughs> I'm going to be free. Well, not really, but I would have more time alone. As I prayed, I knew God wanted me to take it, so I did. And that small step led to teaching in early childhood at that center and teaching with Mildred Moore, if you know her here at Faith. And that led to becoming the first pre-K teacher at the Oaks Academy when they opened, which led to getting a PhD in early childhood education at the age of 56. When I received my doctorate, John encouraged me to look for a position Interestingly, it didn't occur to me at all. <laughs> um, but I received an offer from the University of Southern Indiana, which is in Evansville. So we moved there in 2008, where I taught early childhood classes and graduate research courses. In those days, I was presenting workshops at the National Early Childhood Conferences. At each of these conferences, they would create a huge exhibit hall. And um, at one of them, I was getting really pretty tired and thought, oh, I'll just stop. But I kind of felt like maybe I should just finish up my trip around the exhibit hall. And I came across a woman at a small booth. She asked, what do you do? And I also observed 
the word faith was on a book in her um, booth. She was recruiting teachers and professors to come teach in East Asia. And she would say things like, well, we have an English camp in the summer. Oh, I'd like to do that. Uh, we're looking for teachers to come over, uh, you know, for two weeks stints and teach teachers. Oh, I'd like to do that. And then she'd say, um, we'd like teachers to come and stay for a couple of years and teach in the international school. Oh, I'd like to do that. And so as she recited these positions, I just kept thinking, I want to do that. And that chance meeting led to several trips to Asia to support like-minded teachers. Never in my wildest dreams would I have thought that I would have been doing that. And since I've been at Faith Church, I've had some opportunities to also support teachers in the DRC, the Dem uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, and in a small way in Ukraine. Another instance of God's sovereignty has been seen in our daughter Sarah's life. Two months after getting married in 2018, Sarah wasn't feeling very well. She thought the fatigue was from the hustle and bustle of the wedding. So she went to the doctor who sent her to the ER and she received a preliminary diagnosis of acute leukemia. During her many weeks at Simon Cancer Center, she received great care and much support from her friends and from many of you as you prayed for her. She received a stem cell transplant from her brother that December. And though there have been many ups and downs since then, she has been able to go to work, go to school, and live a full life. Uh, this picture is from Thanksgiving of that fall. Um, the stem cell transplant was a, a month after this. Um, in my uh, uh, service in the churches where we've been members, I've gravitated towards doing service. When we were in Evansville, a group of retired members would spend one day a week doing projects around the church, which including cutting the grass on the 11-acre property. Of course, we would take time off to go out for lunch together. But I got to drive a tractor, which I'd never done before, and uh, cut the grass with a mowing implement on the back. I never did get the hang of backing up with a trailer. That's, uh, if you can do that, you have my respect. <laughs> After we were at Faith a while, the FIAC director asked me to come in on Tuesday mornings to set up the classrooms for the evening classes. Then in December of 2017, I was hired as the building assistant to set up classrooms for Sunday morning, arrange the gathering space, and resupply cards and envelopes in the worship center and other things that I've been assigned, including painting and et cetera. But um, recently, I've really enjoyed serving with a small Christian organization that provides training to Christian leaders in underserved places. I have been able to use my computer skills to help load content and questions onto a learning management system for students to access by computer or smartphone. 
Their courses include studies on books of the Bible as well as topical subjects. The organization is completely virtual and I work with individuals throughout the U.S. and even foreign countries. And when I first got started with them in 17, they were using this thing called Zoom, which I had never used before. So when the pandemic hit, I was a little bit more familiar with it than, than uh, I would have been otherwise. A meaningful verse for me has been 2 Corinthians 4, 5, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Thank you for the opportunity to share today, for us to share today, and feel free to ask any questions you might have. And this is our family uh, picture that was taken last summer. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, I would like to introduce you to, um, this is Anne Marie on the left. She lives outside of Austin, Texas. This is our son, Greg, and his wife, Tina. Uh, they live in Michigan, just west of Detroit. And they have twins, uh, Joshua and Sophia, and Clara. And then uh, there is Sarah with her husband, Nick. And then this is Daniel and his fiance, Ashley. They live in New York City. Uh, Nick and Sarah live here, so they're one out of the four. Um, and Danielle and Ashley will get married in October. 